Hello, I'm Kukule Mfupi, and I had the pleasure of hosting a recent Investec Life discussion between leading medical, pharma, and insurance experts. In this Investec Focus Radio podcast, we'll share some of the highlights from this fascinating discussion. If you'd like to watch the videos from this talk, you can visit focus.investec.com. Our theme for this particular conversation is life with COVID. Dispelling the fiction, knowing the facts and preparing for the future. To help us unpack this conversation, we are joined by my three guests who I'll introduce shortly and of course engage in conversation with them. Professor Francois Fenter, who joins us from the University of Witwatersrand, Sinenkangan Zama, who's the head of product actuary at Investec Life, and Stavros Nikolaou, who is Aspen Pharmacare's group senior executive. Looking at the most recent stats and figures that have been available between the 7th and the 8th of September, it appears as though at least between 10 to 15 million South Africans have been vaccinated. From what I understand, the ambition and the goal is 38 million by the time we reach December 2021. Prof, let's start with you, the healthcare guy. As we reflect on the vaccination process in South Africa at the moment, how do we fare? Not great, I'm afraid. Um, I'm maybe a bit of a glass half empty type, but just under 17% of South Africans have been vaccinated. Um, the people who have been um, vaccinated in the, the general public, sadly, are largely the people who, who, we, who are going to be able to shrug the virus off, the young people. Um, the people who are really vulnerable are the people over 60, the people with comorbidities, and we need those people vaccinated. Um, they have not come forward in the numbers that we need. We've been putting forward this 300,000 per day. We've been battling to break that 200,000 per day number. And it's, on weekends, we, we're hitting sort of 50, 60,000 per day. So we're falling further and further behind. And if a fourth wave does hit us, as we all but predicting in December, we're going to be woefully behind. And that begs the question, what more then do we need to do, right? Because we have certainly seen that there's certain provinces that are leading the mark and age groups that you've also highlighted. Your thoughts on what more needs to be done? So, uh, you know, we shut the entire country down for three month, months last year. I don't understand why we're not putting the entire country saying, let's, for three months, focus entirely, everybody, not just the health department. For three months, um, let's get everyone over the age of 60 vaccinated. Pour all those resources we did last year into getting them. I do not understand why we're not doing things like saying to all the supermarkets, give 5 10% discount to everyone over the age of 60, walks through your door ah. and shows you a vaccination certificate. Tell everyone with an old age pension, show us, your, um, show us your vaccination certificate and we'll double your old age pension. The amount of money that we spend on that versus the amount of money that you spend on an ICU bed is a tiny fraction of it. You mentioned Instead, a very interesting theme around the incentives, and I do want us to get into that in just a moment. But Stavros, I guess as we do reflect on the current environment, what have your uh, takeaways and insights been? So, look, firstly, let me concur with Francois. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the stated goal was to vaccinate, as you correctly said, uh, Google, 38 million South Africans by the 31st of December, right? We are tracking significantly behind. We would have to vaccinate between 300 to 350,000 South Africans on a sustained basis for the next three and a half months if we are to meet that, uh, that ambition. And it is an ambition. It's an ambition that comes with a significant incentive. What is the incentive? The incentive is to reduce death, severe disease, and to return to, normal, to normalcy. Okay, normalcy inter alia includes reopening the economy, uh, getting to enjoy the very basic things that we all enjoy, uh, whether it's a Christmas lunch that we might or might not have right now, as I sit here. You know, three weeks ago, I was watching the Springboks on TV, yeah. empty stadium in Kabecha. I flick the channel, 
I watch Liverpool, Norwich, and there are 50,000 in the stadium right now. Not masked as well, right? Not masked, completely unmasked. So now we need to get to that. But Francois is also correct. Um, we've got to vaccinate as many people as swiftly as possible before an anticipated fourth wave. Will we have a fourth wave? Most certainly we probably will. Do any of us know the timing of it? Of course, none of us know the timing. Okay. Or the severity. Well, we, we know the severity. I'll tell you why. Okay. If we don't vaccinate sufficient people in the vulnerable groups that France was referring to, it's, it's been demonstrated that people that are from 55 and older represent 72% of the deaths in an ICU setting. Uh, the, you know, that we've got to get as many of them vaccinated. How do we do this? There are many different ways of doing it. Mm. We have up until now had a strategy where the people have gone to the vaccine. Yes. So it's fine for people like us in the studio here because we're mobile, we've got means. That doesn't uh, hold true for 70% of our population. So we've got to make it as easy as possible for those people. In other words, we need to change tech. We've got to get the vaccines to the people now, as opposed to the opposite. But it's going to require mobilizing significant resources, the correct messaging, and also taking the vaccine to the people. Speaking of messaging, Stavros, which is what you've highlighted, we're very clear and have seen the concerns about vaccination hesitancy in South Africa and even a group, I guess, of anti-vaxxers, if we can refer to them as that. I'm keen for you to explain to the 55-year-old who might be in the Northern Cape, still experiencing a great sense of hesitancy, not sure what the future of this economy looks like, as to why they should get vaccinated. There are four simple messages that we need to give. Number one is... Vaccines are amongst the safest pharmaceutical products you will ever encounter. They are not new. They haven't been around for a year or five years or 10 years. The first vaccine was introduced in 1791. So we've had vaccines for over two centuries and billions, not millions, billions have been beneficiaries of vaccines. And as I keep saying, so this is my first point, they're amongst the safest and most effective pharmaceuticals that we've got. Number two is nothing else uh, that we've ever introduced as a scientific fraternity or humanity has impacted disease as much as vaccines, other than clean running water. Number three, this current crop of vaccines we use and any other crop have been rigorously tested, quality, safety, and efficacy. And you don't have to believe Francois or anybody else on this panel. Speak to 5.6 billion people that have received at least one dose of a COVID vaccine. Okay. You haven't seen people uh, dying in their thousands or millions. Okay. I've seen people dying in their thousands and millions because they haven't been vaccinated now. Mm -hmm. So we know that uh, 4.5 million people have died globally. Our country understated. We, the official number is 83,000. Unofficial is closer to 300,000. And my very last point I want to make is, let's speak about statistics because it's very easy to post anything on social media. I can post anything tomorrow. And if I've got a big following, it gets believed, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. The only thing it really counts is empirical evidence, the science behind it. I'm going to quote a CEO of one of the big three hospital groups that I spoke to a week ago. He said to me in the first and second wave, they lost 43 doctors and nurses, all unvaccinated. Come the third wave, the number is 
Zero. <laughs> okay. And for okay. the naysayers. Now, those are real live empirical facts. And lastly, we, we can only be safe as individuals if everyone is safe. And that means everyone's got to get vaccinated. Sinenkanka, I've kept you quiet for way too long. I guess before we get into the numbers with you, perhaps reflect on what the last 15 to 18 months has been like for, for the organization that you work with. Oh, wow. Uh, Google. I think if you look back, I think, what, 15, 16 months now? But I think what's been apparent is the benefits that we've got from the whole COVID experience, I think, as an insurance industry is valuable. Because previously, we would be modeling things uh, like epidemics, say it's an event, one in a 200 type of years event, which maybe may have been true in the past. I think the psyche and the way that we're thinking about uh, diseases and conditions and, and viruses is completely changed. And it's not going to be a once-off uh, um, uh, event. We're actually going to now start uh, modeling it over much shorter durations. But besides that, I think for me, just the, the share volume, look at the excess deaths that we've seen mm. in, in South Africa, 250,000 I think we're sitting uh, on at the moment. Um, those are massive numbers that we've never seen. And that is four times what was pre-COVID. It means as an insurance uh, industry, you're experiencing four times what is a norm. So what does it do to your reserves? Do you mm -hmm. have enough of those re reserves? So luckily in South Africa, we've, we're well capitalized as an, as an industry. But just on the vaccines and the acceptability of it, again, is I think for me, in a South African context, we also have to understand that there are other social dynamics that, you, that we've got. If you think about the various communities we've got, the relations with the government and the healthcare system and the setup that our communities Experience. So if you think about those dynamics, uh, for me, it also makes sense sometimes where, where the, the vaccine hesitates to come from. So why is this service delivery free and why is, why, why is it so efficient? So people can be skeptical, even though the data and the numbers are on your face. So I think in, in the rollout of the, of, of the various strategies, there's also another awareness and education element that should come from other sectors the churches, um, uh, businesses, uh, supermarkets. For example, some people are hesitant to go to hospital to, mm -hmm. to get a vaccine. But what if it was at your nearest shopping center? Prof, I'm keen to get your thoughts here, especially in terms of focusing on the uh, over 55s to make sure that they get vaccinated. Stavros mentioned we want to have the Christmas lunches. We want to fill up the stadiums. We want to be able to go on holiday. But we're well aware that uh, we need family and friends around in order to enjoy these luxuries of life with. It almost seems as though there isn't an appreciation within this specific age group uh, about and uh, regarding these vaccinations and the impact it can have on their livelihoods. I loved um, Stavros's idea of a normal Christmas. I think we don't realize how terrible our last Christmas was, you know, just how the beaches were closed. It was just dreadful. And there is a future which is normal, which is a vaccinated future where the masks are gone, which potentially like, everything is back to normal. And, but it requires a mass vaccination program and it requires the vast majority of the population to, to be immune to this virus. And that requires a more creative way of doing I'm, I'm really heartened at uh, seeing these tents popping up at taxi ranks the Pope and Eastern Cape, mm. leading from the front, working with the churches and the NGOs, going into communities and getting the highest levels of vaccination in the country. We need to understand that it's, it is, age is the single biggest risk factor in terms of the severe outcomes of COVID, followed by diabetes, um, followed by HIV, mm -hmm. um, obesity, chronic kidney disease, hypertension. Amongst South African women, I don't know if people know this, diabetes is the commonest cause of death, not HIV anymore. Sure. It's diabetes. Mm -hmm. And obesity is an epidemic in this country. So 
a large proportion of our country is very, very high risk just by virtue of being South African. Mm -hmm. So we need to get those people through the door. We need to make it as easy as possible for them to get vaccinated as quickly as possible. That's important. And I'm keen that you mentioned these facts and figures because what we've seen taking place in the business community is that there have been incentives. When South Africans are incentivized to do the right thing that has a benefit for their health, not only does it make business sense, but it also increases and improves their livelihoods. Stavros, I'm keen to hear from you. If we want to fill up the stadiums, do we need to incentivize South Africans to get vaccinated? Google, look, firstly, they, I think we've identified the, the key problem here is that there are significant parts of our country where the vaccines are inaccessible. Then you've got to analyze it a little further. Within that subset, there are various subsets. One of the subsets will be people that are apathetic. Most people definitely need an, a form of incentive. Then you've got your anti-vaxxers, um, and they represent probably, if we to go by global figures, around 13 to 15%, okay? Then you've got another segment of the population where you need vaccine literacy. Mm -hmm. So these are people that are not necessarily averse, and we saw a study mm -hmm. that came out uh, earlier this week that said 62% of South Africans would take the vaccine, right? Now that's a good statistic. That's close to herd immunity, right? If they all Correct. actually went ahead. I thought around herd immunity. Uh -huh. I rather talk about, uh, uh, you know, population containment of the of the pandemic. Sure. But be that as it may, there are different subsets here. But if you link all these subsets, other than the anti-vaxxer group, right, an incentive will work. There's no doubt. Now I've just come from an event I spoke at uh, where the sports minister stood up and said. Well, we are playing, uh, Bafana are playing Ethiopia in a couple of weeks' time. We, the sports ministry with SAFA, are going to give away 50,000 tickets. But you can only get access into the stadium if you show your vaccine card. Okay. Now, I don't want to get into the vaccine cards. That's a different discussion altogether. Okay. But those are the type of incentives that South Africans and other parts of the world respond to. So... There, there's that type of incentive. There's another incentive uh, that some of business, but not enough of business is pursuing. So the best known example is game giving a discount. Yes. By way of example, right? We need to do a lot more of that. Then very lastly is the perennial debate at the moment around do you go mandatory? And I, I don't want to necessarily dwell into that because there are pros and cons, okay? But the best way to settle that argument once and for all is incentivize the right behavior. And you don't really worry about whether it's mandatory or voluntary, okay? Um, because you'll settle that very quickly. Maybe just to add on to why, from the infectious diseases science front, we don't actually believe this is about herd immunity anymore. We think this virus is going to break through your protective immunity to a degree where you're going to get it several times in your life. So each one of us is going to get it over and over again. Um, so what it does is Hold it stops on. you from... I think let's just reflect on that just for a moment it's, because... It's really important <coughs> to get that through everyone's heads. Is that because of the various, uh, the different variants or...? Variants, but also that um, that's not how immunity really works. It's not how vaccines work, actually. You are going to get vaccinated and you get the protection you're going to get is not from, the vac from getting sick. You're going to, or from getting a sore throat. You're going to get protected from getting hospitalized and from getting long COVID and from getting ventilated and from dying. So is and this like a, the same way that we need to treat the flu? We need to start thinking about this like seasonal flu. Mm -hmm. We don't shut down the entire society for seasonal flu. We vaccinate the vulnerable, the old people and the diabetics and everyone else 
with the flu vaccine and the rest of us take the flu vaccine because we don't want to be spend three or four days in bed. So that's how we might well be thinking about this um, in the future. That's one of the scenarios. The other scenario is that it comes back and each time we get it, we just get a little bit less sick. So it's that first time you get it. You either get it vaccinated or you get unvaccinated. Mm. And that's why I say we, we may have a situation where the people who choose not to get vaccinated, you roll that dice and maybe you're going to end up on a ventilator and maybe you're going to die mm. and maybe you'll shrug it off and you'll be lucky. So that's why these, these ideas of mandatory vaccinations and things like that might be moot because those people are going to get it eventually. And I might be sitting next to you and you might choose not to get that vaccine. You take your chances. The, the problem for me is that you might take up a vaccine, you might take up a ventilator when I need it because I was in the car accident. It's not without its consequences, these people not getting vaccinated. You might pass it on to a child who has got undiagnosed leukemia and kill that child in the process. So it's not as if it's just a personal, there's no consequence to the society. There is a consequence. But the, there is an end point to this, a normal society where those people will get it and they'll deal with those consequences one way or the other in the future. Such important points that you mentioned, and especially in terms of the ripple effects, right? And I know, Stavros, you stepped away from it slightly, but I do want to make mention, if we should, then make it mandatory. Sinekanka? Well, I'll speak from the insurance point of view. We've built on risk differentiation. A smoker pays a higher premium than a non-smoker. A 60-year-old pays a higher premium than a 20-year-old because they present a higher risk. A diabetic pays a higher premium than someone who's not diabetic. So someone who chooses not to be vaccinated data shows they present a higher risk to the insurer in terms of deaths and, and other um, uh, claims on, on, on their uh, critical illness or disability in the long term. So those uh, in the industry, if you, there will be a point in time where in the industry you, you might not be able to get cover, especially if you're in a high risk group, if you don't want to get vaccinated. Uh, in the low risk, you might actually then uh, be faced with a higher premium or an exclusion of some sort if you do not get vaccinated. Whether you look at that as being mandatory, make it compulsory or mm. a choice, end of the day, you've got a choice and you choose not to take insurance if you don't, if you don't want to get vaccinated. Jens, it almost sounds as though you're describing the future to us here. I'm keen for us to provide our audience with clarity. Uh, I know that's been very difficult to do over the last 15 months, but in terms of what the final objective actually is, as we maneuver through these very difficult and complex scenarios, what is that final picture and future that we're looking for in terms of South Africa when it comes to health, the economy, and clarity for business? Stavros? I think, Google, very simply put, we want a pandemic that takes us back to the future. Okay. Now, what do I mean by that? Okay. Our country in particular, the continent, has taken significant economic hardship industries. Yep. We don't have the social safety nets that Europe has got in the US. We, we couldn't pump $2 trillion into our economy to, to support uh, a, a flaying and, uh, and, and, fault, and faulting economy. We didn't have have the luxury of that, right? So we need to get back to the future, as I keep saying, with this uh, some form of normality so we can open up the economy again. People can start generating income revenue and earn a living again. And the best way to do that is to get to this point of containment. You can call it an endemic, if you wish. And that means managing the pandemic instead of the pandemic managing you, mm. 
which is the case at present. Sinenkanka, your thoughts? Containment clearly being the theme that we're moving forward with and what that means um, um, for your clients, for yourselves as a business, and I guess the, the livelihoods of South Africans as well. Yes, uh, well, from the numbers point of view, containment means there's more stability in the numbers. Predictable means that you know what strategies to, to employ, but also means that if you're thinking about insurance, your premiums will be much more predictable, your, your reserves will be much more better, creates better security for business, but also creates better security for those uh, um, clients and the general public. Prof, I'm keen to hear your thoughts what this means for the future of healthcare, specifically in a country like South Africa, where the inequalities have been highlighted. But at the same time, this is probably one of the most positive examples we've seen of great collaborative efforts between government as well as the private yes, sector. Yes, I think that uh, there's been lots here to learn between the private and the public sector about what can be achieved. Uh, I think that mm -hmm. certainly in the early stages where we actually collapsed the entire primary healthcare system to focus on one virus and mm. diabetic services, HIV services, TB services completely collapsed. And I think that was a tragedy. A lot of people died in the background quietly at home because they didn't have access to what are essential services. And I think there are a lot of lessons there for the primary healthcare services. You don't prioritize one disease over others. You, know, you, know, you do everything. I think the future that I certainly see from the sort of scientific perspective is one which is response. The worst case scenario, and I'm gonna scare you all now, is one where there's variant after variant after variant that, that finds itself immunologically past us and we're having to design. Stavros's vaccine factory is like overcharged because it's having to develop a new one every year. Mm. We have to do this every year for the over 60s and the vulnerable. We can't even get to the 35-year-olds and everybody is else. Is that a possibility? It is a possibility. And we Stavros, are, are you ready? But can you imagine our society having to reconform itself around vaccinating everyone every year? It's a terrifying prospect. But I think most scientists think it's unlikely. But the best news is you either get COVID or you get this vaccine that is available now and we never need another vaccine. So people can start looking to the future, start planning for something that is, is coming. And this is why I don't actually have strong views on the mandatory versus compulsory debate anymore because I think it's coming for everyone. Anyone who wants to put, get on an airplane internationally is probably going to have to show their, their vaccine passports. But there is a future here that is normal, but it does depend on us vaccinating the vulnerable as quickly as humanly possible. Mm -hmm. Probabilities are plenty, and uh, I, I guess the prophet has highlighted that, Stavros, but uh, are we prepared for the worst case scenario, perhaps also reflecting on those booster shots as we start yeah. to share concluding remarks here? So let me underscore something that Francois touched on, right? We, a lot of us have spoken about what is the end game, what's the end objective about you know, vaccinating people. We know it's to prevent death and severe disease. There's another important element, and that is to break the chain of transmission. So it's been demonstrated that the more people you vaccinate, the, the more likely you are to break the chain of transmission. If you break the chain of transmission, the less the likelihood of all these uh, variants uh, coming about. Now, uh, you can work out I'm, I'm very South African, but I have Greek origins, right? And unfortunately, there are 24 letters in the Greek alphabet, okay? And we name, we name all of these variants after the Greek alphabet. Alpha, We're down beta. to lambda, which is about halfway through, right? Okay. We just cannot afford to go down to omega. Omega is the last letter in the, in the Greek alphabet. We can't even get to sigma or any of those, right? Because one of these days, we're going to find, we're going to go down somewhere, it's sigma or tav, and they're not going to respond to vaccines immediately, right? And that's the risk that we run. So if ever there's a, a bit of a harrowing message to give here is one of the most compelling reasons that you want to go out there and get vaccinated right now 
is we've got, to, we've got to stop this constant mutation because sometimes viruses down mutate, sometimes they up mutate. And one day we're going to have one that up mutates and it's not going to respond to the vaccines and it's going to be like starting all over again. You're going to go back to base one. So do we have the capacity to, uh, to, to keep churning out these vaccines? If we keep going through these mutations and we keep going through these variants and we go down to Amiga, the answer is the world will not cope. It's as simple as that. Mm. There just won't be enough capacity. So that's probably for me, aside from preventing severe disease and death, one of the most compelling reasons why you want to get in your car now or find the nearest mobile clinic and get your jab. We have to break this chain of transmission to get back to the future. Thank you for listening to this Investec Focus radio podcast. If you enjoyed the discussion, please take the time to rate us and to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The views expressed are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily represent the views of the firm and should not be taken as advice or recommendations. Investec Life Limited is a long-term insurer and an authorized financial services provider.